Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Divi Chat. Each week, some of the brightest minds from all around the world share their knowledge and expertise running businesses and developing websites with WordPress and Divi. Tonight, you'll be listening to episode 22, Growing Your Team, Transitioning Away from Using Freelancers into Hiring Salaried Employees. Let's get chatting, but before we do, to tonight's panel. Hi, Shannon. Hey there, David. I'm Shannon Schaefer with Purple Finch Studios, and you can find me on Facebook at Purple Finch Studios or purplefinchstudios.com. Awesome. Hi, Tim. Hey, everybody. Tim Streifler here, and you can find me at timstreifler.com and divilife.com. Awesome. And my name is David Blackman with Aspen Grove Studios. And you can find me at aspengrovestudios.com or on Facebook, Twitter, but I'll be lying to you because I just don't tweet that much. And I heard a rumor that Twitter's dying. So I heard that too. My energy there. So um, Aspen Grove Studios on Facebook, you can find us as well. Um, we may have some people pop in. We're kind of hoping they will. I'm encouraging chat co-hosts to also urged. Um, we're going to discuss, you know, growing a team. This one is is something that uh, very very important as your as your company is scaling and you're growing it. I'm going to share kind of a little bit of experience about how Aspen Grove Studios has taken their Corey Jenkins, David Blackman, co-founders of Aspen Grove Studios, up to a team of now 10, hired a new person this week, a video audio editor. Um, you know, we'll, we'll tell you how we're gonna, how we've scaled our team and stuff. And we've got Shannon Schaefer with Purple Finch Studios who has a great team in her own right. So I'm not gonna talk the whole time, but, uh, I don't know if Tim or Shannon want to say anything or jump in here before we get started. Yeah, I'm just going to say really fast, this is an area that I have very little to no experience in. So I'm excited to learn from you both, um, Shannon and David, because I know you guys have both successfully scaled teams. I know Shannon's scaled several teams. And so um, as I was telling David and Shannon in kind of our, our pre-chat before we, we went live, um, this is something that I'm, I'm trying to focus on. So um, I'll probably be asking you guys questions that um, are things that I want to know, and hopefully our, our listeners will, will find useful as well. So, so awesome. before, we, before we start talking, I want to preface this with something. Um, you know, a lot of people are really scared to scale their team. And the biggest question that before we talk about how to do it is, is when to do it and that's what people ask all the time when is the right time and I think that's one of those questions where um, if you are growing it's always the right time um, because when you add people you add uh, man hours you add abilities you have add a different perspective and it helps to not only help your your business grow but kind of help you grow so um, that's a big question that I'm always asking. Like, when should I do this? Should I do this when I have this amount of dollars? There's, there's really no right dollar amount or profit amount or percentages that you should be at. But in my personal experience, um, I scaled a seven-figure business and I waited too long to, to scale my team. And, and not that I didn't, because I eventually did, but had I done it sooner, I would have I would have definitely been a much larger company faster. Um, and this time around, I took a different approach uh, that I hired before I really, um, before my bottom line told me that I needed to. So um, I took those that leap. So two contrasting um, decisions, both of them, I think, leading to successful brands. So um, I don't know how you feel about that, David, but I think that is a, that's the precursor to, to how you do it is when you do it. Um, I would say that there's probably no perfect time. Uh, you're just going to kind of know when you need to add people. Um, Aspen Grove Studios, Corey and I kind of made some conscious decisions 
we knew where we wanted to grow with our go with our company. Um, you know, we kind of put ourselves on the back burner and decided that the company needed to be solvent. We wanted it to be first top top priority. So we decided to scale our team rather quickly. Um, I would say it. Um, what Shannon just spoke to, uh, we, we started scaling the team right out of the gate. Did it based on 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 product sales. So Aspen Grove Studios has two divisions basically. That is a product company that sells WordPress themes and plugins for WordPress, specifically focusing on the Divi theme. Um, and we also have a custom web development actually constitutes about 60 to 65 percent of our revenue. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We get quite a few emails do custom, you know, well, we know that you create products and themes, but do you do custom work as well? So uh, we probably need to work on a little bit better branding for ourselves on that division of our company. So we decided that you know, as our product scaled, we would take the money from the product division, and every time we could hire someone, we would. We knew that we needed to fill quite a few gaps, um, especially when you're working in the online world. Solopreneur, when you get going with an online business and you start learning all of the things that need to, that goes into it: content marketing, SEO, um, development, back-end development, front-end development. Uh, content creation takes resources and people, and one person will be overwhelmed. So we just started filling the pieces as we felt like we needed them. We um, should have had a support person sooner than some of our other staff, but because Corey and I were focusing on support ourselves as opposed to hiring somebody to do that position, and we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that as well, but I totally agree. Um, your ducks in a row to scale your team. Yeah, I think that's the key is like, hey, you don't have to be at, uh, you know, as we talk about how you do it, I don't think you have to be at this, like everybody thinks, oh, I have to be making all this money. And because what you find that happens is when you start to scale and add people, your revenue grows along with the additional people because you only have so many man hours in a day. So when you add those additional people, and I know there's the idea of freelance that we can just hire freelance to fill in the gaps. And, and that is an awesome way for one, peop one person to expand their capabilities. But what ends up happening is, over time, you'll end up spending more money than you have to because your freelancer is going to cost you significantly more than an employee because you're giving them consistent work. Um, I know for myself personally, um, our first uh, seven, eight months in, in developing sites, I was using a freelance developer and um, and actually I was using somebody who was charging a lot of money because they didn't get consistent work from me and I and I understand that you know you have to you have to make more per hour because you don't work as many hours and um, when I moved to a situation uh, actually our developer now he was initially a freelancer and um, you know, and at that point I made the decision that he needed to come on board full time and we weren't able to negotiate a salary that worked for both of us, not at the same rate of, of the hourly uh, freelance rate. So that's one, that's one reason that scaling can actually, you know, help you is that your costs will go down and your productivity normally will grow up. There's Tammy. Hi, Tammy. Welcome, Tammy. Tammy has done a great job at scaling, so she definitely bring her into this conversation, Tammy. Um, we were just talking about, you know, um, before we talked about how, we were talking about when to scale, and, and David and I were kind of like saying there is no perfect time to scale, and yeah. so so we'd love to hear your your thoughts on, you know. Yeah, first let's let's let Miss uh, oh, Tammy yeah. introduce herself. <laughs> Um, just so you guys know, I had my eyes dilated about two hours ago, so everything is very surreal right now. But um, yeah, so I'm Tammy Heaton. Uh, I work at Undeniable, tiny agency, St. Louis, Missouri, um, undeniable.co. That's about it. Well, welcome. We're so glad that you joined us. We, uh, I prefaced before we got chatting, saying that a couple of people may dive in a few minutes late. So. Yeah, there was a little mix-up, but we're good. <laughs> okay, so 
I have a but, question that I was going to ask, and maybe this will be a good time for, for Tammy to jump in. So um, as I'm, you know, looking to scale my team and, and that's a focus uh, for me, um, on one hand, I have two sides of my business as well, as David was talking about, the products as well as the, the web design. And so for me, there's not that fear of, you know, am I going to be able to keep these people busy? Because with the products, you know, it's 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 about output and I'm always going to have projects to give them with that. But for someone that's just doing web design, what would you guys say for, the, you know, people that fear they're not going to be able to keep, you know, an employee busy if they're not getting enough, you know, inbound work coming in, if they're not getting enough interest for people wanting websites, what would you say to people? Cause I think that's a legitimate concern. And even though I do the product side, like that's still in the back of my head of like being a risk with growing a team. You have to, I think you really have to have like, like not just like have a pipeline, but have tremendous 100% confidence. Okay. hundred percent like that never happens, but you have to have a fairly high degree of, um, you know, confidence in your, in your actual, incoming work and it's been really hard for me I know because there are times that things get very very crazy and then it like kind of drops off like very suddenly and there will be like one project and um, I mean for me the solution to that has been very clearly that I am handing over like all of my duties to other people to let them do them and I am focusing on sales because I I know other people have found a salesperson they can work with and to have that relationship and to have that pipeline kind of there for them. But um, I just haven't found that person. I've made a couple of attempts and it didn't really work. And like end of day, I was like, okay, if I want the company to grow and if I want to make sure that I can eat and that other people can eat, like basically I have to do this because I've tried everything else and nothing else is working. So that was like a really big switch for me into taking very active sales roles and I feel like that's like everything I talk about in every episode but to do that and not like at first there was just a lot of waiting around and like oh I'll get clients they'll come from you know when we all started out you guys remember that we'd be like just you know referrals will come it'll happen I think um, um, Tim you you bring up a very good question and I think you're in a little bit different more unique situation than someone who's just doing web design. So for us personally, Aspen Grove Studios, um, vision definitely took the pressure off of not we were going to be able to keep people busy or not. Um, has done, uh, my experience is, is that people on, we've been able to take on more work to um, really been able to ha have to worry about it. Um, I agree with Tammy 100%. I think that, you know, you should focus on what you're good at, focus on what they're good at. Way, You know, as long as you're producing good work, work's going to come. It's going to be there. Referrals will come. But the stuff that we've done in the community for the last couple of years, building up a brand, um, each other sides promoting each other helping each other out the work is just there yeah there I mean to me there are two really important points of it I even wrote them down they were so important but the two things for me I had to get over my own pride that was a huge thing for me and it I mean it's twofold because on one hand it's your own pride and on the other hand it's just like you're starting out and you're getting going and you're like what's gonna happen can I can I make these changes like I was really scared to start taking on a team even though I planned it from day one but like ultimately you are the limit of your own income because you can only work so many hours a day. You can only take so many clients. You can only do so much work and you are also the limit of your own talent. Like bringing other people in has allowed me to step up to enormously bigger projects because they're people who are more talented than I am. And you know, it hurts to kind of admit that sometimes I think, but it's reality. I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, when you're running your business by yourself, I mean, your sales, your operations, your, your development, Tim, this is going back to the, the guy who's doing websites by himself and thinking about scaling a team. Um, the question for me, how do the same, that same answer to that question is a little bit different. How do you make sure that they have work? Well, the first person I partnered up with was a, a dynamo salesperson. So, you have what I always wanted. You right. Totally so do. that was the first, that was not my, 
a developer was not my first um, hire. Um, you know, for me, I am, I think I called myself today a layouter because I am not a designer. I'm a more of a UX marketing. I'm a, I'm a digital marketing person um, who happens to know a little CSS. And basically, I would lay out a website and, and freelance somebody to actually do the development part of it. So I don't really develop anything. You know, I'm a front end. I can get around Divi and do all the front end stuff. But for me, I was like, okay, I want to scale this. I want to have a full-time developer. How do I do that? Hire somebody who's kick-ass in sales to sell it on the front end. And I know once she sells it, we can deliver. And I mean, we started, she can sell it, and I had total confidence in what I do. And I promised um, our developer that I was going to say his name right tonight. Um, his name is, <laughs> I, I, I say it bad. Um, his actual name is Hui. Um, and he, good. yes, <laughs> um, he is. Uh, I didn't hear it because it just, just like blanked out. Oh, I, that was crazy. Say it again. Hui. Hui. Um, okay. Yes. For the it was better the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, hiring a salesperson was my first move. You know, instead of and here's the beauty of hiring a salesperson first. It works a little different for a salesperson with salary. It's commission. So you don't sell, you don't eat. So and they have that mentality. Most people have the, the that are salespeople. Um, Diane, Diane Diane always says you you eat what you kill. And so that for me was the answer. So once she started bringing in the work, then it was a no brainer that um, I had stuff to keep him busy all the time. So, and now we are at a point where we're like, okay, so we have project manager, we have him and we have some designer people and we're, we're able to be kept busy because of that initial, you know, that first person in the line and that's, and that's her. Unlike some of you guys, we don't really get a lot of work in the online world, or we're to, so, to, totally local. Um, I swear, I have only had a little tiny bit of wine tonight. <laughs> I can't talk. Um, so I think that answers the, you know, a different perspective as to how to keep somebody busy. And I think it's something a lot of people don't think about when they're building websites: is hey, maybe I can hire a salesperson first. Yeah, I think that's that's something that you definitely. It depends on where you're at because you know me knowing Tim personally and knowing the type of his mindset and the type of his strengths and stuff it probably would benefit him to hire a salesperson I'm like I'm the salesperson you know um, I'm probably a little bit too anal on the sales side of thing to release that aspect but um, on where you're at and stuff and what what you need and stuff Go hire a salesperson, Tim. Well, I got. I, I'm. I'm. My problem is the the back end. I gotta. I have too much coming in from you know elegant themes, the article. You know, Divi freelancers. That gives me so much work, and so I'm trying to get it, people. So I need the designers and the developers. Um, but yeah, that that would be step two for me as as uh, salesperson. Well, I guess personally what we have done, and this is just my own experience, I can only speak to it. Um, we initially started out with developers as well because, you know, I'm a, I'm a networker and a salesperson first, and those are my strengths. So having work has never really been the issue for me, but work has been. Um, and I've been pretty lucky at growing and, and putting a pretty uh, – dynamic team together pretty awesome team uh, we've got two end developers we've got three front-end developers and those are you know it's interesting they're they're different than others you know some are more the front-end developers are strengths on the design side some have stronger strengths on the CSS side some have a mixture of both design CSS PHP okay find of like one of our uh, current staff members I would I would be in absolute heaven uh, I call her the white whale she is a I'm sure she designer. appreciates that David yeah, yeah well <laughs> doesn't speak English so maybe she can translate this <laughs> um, 
she is she is a and when I use the term white whale, it is she is just like she is a developer and a designer. Her design skills are and her development skills are so she is a PHP expert, a CSS expert, jQuery. The problem is that she's one person and she can only do so much in a in a time period. Um, so how do you find those people? Me personally, what I've I've had most success on Facebook. But uh, I'm a, I'm a member of many Facebook groups and um, employees I found in Facebook groups. Let's do the a, last a little plug player. for the a little plug for the Divi freelancers for hire group. Divi freelancers for hire. We've got a couple of really good employees out of there. Our, we posted a job in that Facebook group, and we've gotten our content marketer. You know, um, Lisa's been with us for a little bit over a year now. She's in South Africa, and she's phenomenal. Now, one thing that I wanted to say, and I don't want to forget to say this, is, and with us working online, you know, it opens up the entire world to us. And don't think that just because there's a language barrier that you can't work with them, because I've had a back-end developer us from Poland that speaks no English and I speak even less Polish and we've been working together for two and a half years wonderfully relation is is a fantastic tool so Facebook groups um, and I'll share some of my other tips I don't want to talk the whole time <laughs> well because I always have to talk about different than online um, you know if you're trying to do this locally or in your area um, Here's some just just tips to find people in your area because I think that is, um, you know, not everybody is going to be uh, scaling their team with remote people because some of us have an office and you know people coming in to work. So I know that's a crazy idea to you kids, but um, <laughs> so one of the things is yeah right you're gonna like oh. mm -hmm. but you know I think it's important to say that there's not one right way to do it. I love that we all have done this a little differently. You know, David, who, you know, works with a partner and, you know, they collaborate. Tammy, you run your own agency. I, you know, have a partnership with Diane, um, and she's not technical at all. So for 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 me, it's locally getting out and to the to the network events, you know, colleges, internships, um, you know, looking at kids that are coming right out of school. Uh, you know, we have an opportunity to to interview some kids who are brilliant, you know, and they are are looking for opportunities. So, you know, if you have colleges in your area, networking events, all those things are places to go and look for people who are, you know, interested, um, you know, in in going out and 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 being involved in a startup. Um, it takes a special kind of person. Um, I find that people who are looking for a break are more than willing to. Uh, you know, to, to go into a startup, you know, so the, the college scene, um, people who are maybe in a different career that are thinking about making a change, um, there's an awesome opportunity for some brilliant people who, who maybe don't really know, they aren't like super, they're just learning and they're making a career change. Um, I found, you know, somebody wanted to know how um, I found my salesperson. I mean, that is exactly what this was. Um, Diane, who is our salesperson, um, was in sales for 30 years. Um, and like I said, she doesn't know the online world at all. She was a consultant for small businesses. So she was a career changer. Um, she was somebody who was motivated. She did something well for a really long time. And um, basically, you have to take the time to teach them a little bit about the industry. But the nice thing is, is that you are tailoring it to what you need. Um, so it's all about finding the person who matches what you need rather than all skill set. I know it's a little bit different when it comes to like a developer, but support, you know, customer service, all those things, you can tap people who maybe had a different um, career in a previous life and they're looking to make a change. And they're usually to, willing to go out on a limb and, and work with a, somebody who's just starting out. It's sometimes hard to find really good people who are willing to take the jump, um, especially if you're looking to do it domestically. Um, it's hard to find somebody who's willing to take a jump. Tammy, I see you. You have I went to New York last month and I was having dinner with, I, like, I almost, 
I'm like, I disagree, but I, you know, it just, this thing that happened, I was out at dinner with a whole bunch of people I had worked with early in my career. And so don't, like, what I guess I'm saying is don't overlook the people you think would never want to work with you or who are like too experienced or who would be like turning their nose down at small business jobs or things like that. Cause I was out at dinner, like drinking with my friends and, um, you know, every, there were all people I've worked with earlier in my career. And basically like, almost everybody at the table by the end of the night was like, so like, can you hire me? Can you give me some work? Like, could I come work for you? Like it just, it kept coming up with everybody. And by the end of the night, I was, my, my head was spinning. Cause I was like, I could put together like a world-class New York team. And it's kind of the same process that I already went through. Like, okay, you go from little projects to medium projects. Can you then go from medium projects to big projects? Because you just got like another infusion of this like sick talent into your world. But I, like, don't, don't assume, like there are definite perks to the way that we all exist, which we, after doing this for a long time, may not even realize anymore. But you know, we have a lot of freedom. We have what a lot of people want. What a lot of people, I'm like, I agree with Shannon, not everybody is cut out for this by a long shot, but um, a lot of people would give a lot of things to be able to sit at home and work in their underwear. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, speak, speaking of that, if the client that was watching that when I had the meeting with today that we did the Skype, I apologize <laughs> for clicking on the video camera in my PJs. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to do that. At least well. you had PJs on, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> For some reason, I just had visions of SJ. I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> oh, I'm not as good looking as SJ, unfortunately. So uh, that probably would have been a quick hang-up. Quick hang-up. <laughs> well, what are some of the other questions that you know people may want to know when scaling a team? We talked about when is it appropriate to, when's the time to, we all agree you know, don't wait until you think you have all your ducks in a row you know definitely um, not on ahead and jump you know um, we've talked a little bit about vetting if we want to talk a little bit more about vetting potential employees and stuff you know what the process is what do you guys go through when you're interviewing someone I typically for example this week when we were looking for a video in the initial one, I'm looking to hire someone. I'm not opposed to hiring two or three different people and giving them the same project, seeing what their time frames look like when they come back. I know I'm paying for what it is that I'm doing. However, that process has served me well in seeing, okay, what are the strengths this person brings to the table? Okay, well, this one was a little bit quicker, but this project's done a little bit better. So, um, that we've done that I've done to, to vet different people is I've um, I've paid money for projects small part projects not I'm not talking about a website build and I'm hiring three people to build the same website I'm taking a very small project idea on their their skill set and seeing how they return the project and stuff to me so that's one to vet people is there anything that you guys do as well? That's really smart, by the way, just to say it. That's, I've never <laughs> thought of doing that, but that's really smart. Oh, thank you. I'm full of great ideas, Tammy. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. <laughs> um, I'm a bad person to ask about this one personally because I'm, I'm weird. And I don't always make good hiring decisions, but sometimes I make stellar hiring decisions. So like, when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. Unfortunately, there have only been like two bad and like everything else good, three bad, everything else good. <laughs> but I, I hire based on who I like, basically. If I like, well, and talent. I mean, I'm demanding about yeah. talent, so you have to meet <laughs> a certain point of talent. But beyond that, I have to actually like you or I just want to hire you, period. Okay. Well, so I don't necessarily have experience with this, but what I'm planning on doing as I'm uh, scaling a team and um, you know getting permanent employees is starting them out on just a, a project basis. So kind of what David said, uh, which is, is a lot more brilliant, um, having two people go after the same project and you know see which one turns out better in less time and, and whatnot. Um, but what I plan on doing is, is just a project, right? If they can do a project, okay, I'll give them a few more projects. And if that works out, okay, 
you know, now they have a spot on the team because they've, they've earned it on that project to project basis. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to start people out on th small things and things that can't damage you in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Things that can't break your website or a client's website. <laughs> yeah, I, unfortunately, in the in the points where I've had failures with resources, it's funny when you call people resources, isn't it? But um, I, you know, when I've had failures, it's been in critical situations because I took chances on people, and it was just like, oh, like very, very bad. So don't do that. Everybody listening, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> so I have a different, a little bit of a different um, angle about you know whether people fail or succeed. Um, the idea of setting somebody up for a project is is awesome. However, I, I think setting them up with standards and procedures and processes, I think the best way to mm -hmm. scale your agency and to have your people succeed before you even choose that person is to, you know, create a process and easily to like replicate process that, you know, we know as a team that every time this happens, this is what we're gonna do. Um, I think a lot of people hire people and the people fail, not because they're bad employees or because they're not talented, but because they're coming into a situation where, hey, this guy has worked for two years by himself and, you know, Tim knows what he does. He just does what he does. And, but Tim hasn't told person A, B, and C, like his procedures and processes and, you know, really thought about it for um, how somebody else with a different perspective might react to this or do this. So I think documenting your processes before you bring a person on um, whether you bring on two people to try the same project, give them your process because you may find that person A may get it done faster and better and, and whatever those better means, but person B works better to how you want your company long-term to function so that when you have 10 employees that person B is, is able to follow your procedures because some people are brilliant and they're only brilliant if they can work in their own environment and not as a um, not as not of anything of scale. So scaling without those procedures becomes an issue because there's nothing like having somebody who's incredibly talented, but at the same time they are just a mess and they bring the whole team down. So those people tend to be better freelancers than employees. So that's just another suggestion is creating those processes up front, Tim. And, um, and have them documented too, right? I think it's really Absolutely. important to have them documented and not only documented, if you can create like a video library for, you know, the basic stuff, you know, here, here's my procedure that I use every time that I'm going to take a site live. Here's what we do, you know, here's a checklist and I want you to make sure that all these things are, because ultimately, and I hate seeing this, our employees have to be able to follow our instructions because we want their work to reflect our work. So I think it's really important for us to, to keep that in mind that somebody coming in, if we don't give them any direction and say, here's this project, just do it, um, we can end up thinking that they're, eh, I don't really like this person, but we didn't give them. So take the onus on yourself to, to prepare a new employee properly, um, that if you don't give them all the direction, um, and I can't, I can't stress like having it in written form or video form, something that they can go back and reference um, when they're doing the project. Yeah, that's Absolutely. actually something I, I did do right. Sorry, David, to cut you off. <laughs> that's okay, go ahead. Um, the, the one employee I do have is a part-time person that helps me on the, the product side of my business with Divi Life doing support. And I, before hiring her, I was doing all the support myself. And I'd done a good job with it. And I had kind of built um, up a reputation for having great support and had standards. And so I wanted to make sure that she... As Shannon said, was you know an extension of that and reflected you know my my work, and so I built out a document of of procedures and you know here's what I want you to to how how I want you to you know interact with customers you know the level of um, friendliness the tone um, here's common issues here's how to solve them and that sort of thing so that she was able to go right from the starting gate and be successful rather than you know getting thrown in head first without really knowing what she's doing quite yet. And so I think that's, uh, like you said, Shannon, just to kind of reiterate that, so important to set them up for success rather than, you know, waiting to see if they're going to succeed or fail. Absolutely. I mean, I think job descriptions for every person that you hire is a must. They need to know exactly what it is that they're going to be doing for your company and what they're responsible for. Um, it is a huge part of 
succeed in your company once you do hire them. One of the questions that one of the listeners that are watching our live cast right now asks, they want to know if, uh, do you guys make sure the person knows Divi? I'll speak to it first. It does not matter. Um, one of our most talented by the name of Gio Mabasa. He's from the Philippines. Gio, giving you a shout out. Um, a phenomenal Divi developer. Nobody knows who Gio is. Gio knew nothing about Divi. Brought him into the company. We were looking for a front-end developer. And my goal was, this is what we use. You need to learn it inside and out. And and he did. And, you know, my experience with developers, they be pretty quickly. If they're, if they're worth their salt, developer, they're going to figure out Divi, you know, all of them are different time frames and stuff. So I, I, I personally don't think it matters that they know Divi or not. Else want to answer that? Well, I have a, I have a follow-up question to that, but I'll, I'll let you go first, Tammy. Oh, I was just going to say, if it's a Divi project, I actually do make sure they know Divi, but we don't just build Divi. So, Blake, Dan, what's your follow-up so question? So my follow-up question to that, David, is, um, you know, like right now, I'm looking for a designer, right? Preferably, I would like that designer to know Divi because even if they're going to be building and creating PSD mock-ups, I want them to know, you know, what the limitations of Divi are and, and, you know, how Divi works so that they, you know, don't create a website that's going to make it difficult to turn into a Divi uh, website when, when it's in development. So how do you go about that where, okay, you know, you're a designer, you don't necessarily have to be world's best Divi developer, but at least having an understanding of how Divi works and the way the modules work and kind of, the limitations of the advanced design settings and how much is going to have to go into CSS and all that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, ideally that would be great, but reality is um, true designers to be able to understand the, the, the back end of Divi probably not realistic unless it's over time. Somebody who's worked with the product with you for a while. Um, you know, our designers over time did learn Divi, do, where they could bend it, where they couldn't bend it. Um, you know, and I think it's part of my responsibility of, of our company to know the products that we use inside and out. So with me, knowing the limitations of what it is that we can and can't do on the product level, also the team level, and then to guide them. Because they have sent back mock-ups and stuff, our designers, and I'll have to go back to them and say, wait a minute, not something that we're going to, this, this is going to be a pain in the butt for the client to, to modify once we turn the site over to them. If they want to change this in any shape, form, or fashion, we're going to have to do a lot of custom programming to make this site achieve look that you've designed. So I think over time, as they learn what it can and what it can't do, um, necessarily important for them to know it. I think it falls kind of on my responsibility and the company and stuff to kind of guide them and get them there, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, and I think in, in my head, and maybe other people kind of have this mentality too, and I don't know, maybe it's just me because it's kind of crazy, but in my head, I, I feel like I have to get it right first time where I have to find the right person. I have to give them the right information so that they can give me the right product the first time around. And obviously like that would be great in a perfect world, but kind of, as you mentioned, David, there is that iteration process and you know, that learning curve as you learn to work with them and they learn, you know, Divi for example. So that's, yeah, that kind of cleared things up for me. I think I heard a quote one time that said like something like freelancers are hired for, to deliver a service or product and agencies are hired like for their expertise or something like that. And I think it really speaks to, you know, to that question, like, uh, you know, you have freelancers who are delivering, you know, an end product, like a designer de delivers the design. Over time, 
that designer becomes an expert in what your agency does and you become a cohesive team and your expertise, like my expertise and some of my teammates, we kind of like mesh all together to, to create this one big pot of, of knowledge. And even though, you know, 18 months ago, I couldn't have told you what Divi was. I have seven years of Genesis experience, which, you know, doesn't necessarily translate to Divi in any way, shape or form. But, you know, um, I think that, you know, thinking outside of like, okay, this person is a, you know, Genesis expert or a Divi expert, and they have to have that knowledge. I think your team takes on, you know, whatever your mission is as a company, as an agency, your team will begin to take on the shape of that mission and, and become what you need them to be based on how you lead them. Does, does that even make sense? But I mean, I know it sounds kind of like hokey, but it really okay. is like leading your team to be to be your team, your, your agency to be who you want them, what your vision is. I think good people can become, I don't want to say expert, but they can become an expert in, in who your team is and who your agency is. Um, and I think you have to look outside of saying, oh, they need to have, they need to know Divi and not be quite as specific with uh, the platform and look for um, attributes and, and, and things that you want in an, an employee. Tim, your next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, this is something I, I've been thinking about. So, you know, there's the difference between the freelancer, right, the, the contract, um, you know, per project, and then there's the employee. So how does it work when dealing with employees? Are you still treating them as a private contractor where you're paying them, you know, as a private contractor? Or are they a salaried employee on payroll, you know, in terms of tax? Now, I know internationally it's going to be different, but... Um, maybe I guess this question will be a little more U.S. based, if that makes sense. So, are you asking about nuts and bolts of taxes? <laughs> no, I think he's asking for our experience. If I'm right, Tim. Yeah, like, like when you guys are are gonna bring someone on as a, a permanent team member, you know, or a long term okay. team member, are, are you paying them as a yeah? <laughs> so, okay, so David, if I could here, because my former life, I'm, I'm actually um, a finance accountant person. So there are laws in the state, in each state, and that require you to do certain things based on. So I think as a, as a team here, we should pass on that question and advise you to put it in your individual state, um, because we don't need the IRS coming after Tammy. No, I'm kidding. I can, I can talk about some very specific things with my plans right now, but I don't think I want to. Yeah, seriously though, that is something, there are some very specific laws that I can bore you to death with, what constitutes an employee and a 1099 contractor. So um, I would suggest that you uh, consult your attorney I, attorney yeah. slash accountant um david is lisa around no i'm kidding um, so I, I went to um I, I actually i had like a whole bunch when i started out i was like i'm gonna make all these groundbreaking employment sort of policies this is gonna be a completely different kind of business we're gonna do it totally differently and we're gonna have all these cool perks but we're not gonna do any of this bs over here and it was like brilliant to my mind and then i actually met with an employment attorney and he was like, oh, my Lord, you are like a lawsuit waiting to happen, lady. And I was like, oh, okay then. <laughs> That's why people don't do this cool stuff, I guess. So, yeah, you definitely should meet with an attorney. Okay, so let me rephrase my question then. Because I am familiar <laughs> with those laws. And actually, my, my wife was hired as a contractor, but they're treating her like an employee. And she got taxed up the yin-yang. And so we... Uh, put a dispute with the IRS because she really was supposed to be taxed as an employee. So I'm familiar with all that. So I guess what my question is, do you guys go the employee route or do you go the private contractor route? So without, you know, getting into like the nuts and bolts of how you treat a private contractor based on, you know, an employee. Well, but One thing to consider with employees is part-time employees versus full-time employees. So I'm actually doing a combination. I don't have anybody full-time. I would like to have someone full-time and I'm working very specifically toward bringing one very specific person on full time. Um, two people out in the world are going, is it me? Is it me? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, but, you know, I do a combination of project based contractors and part time employees, basically. 
And that has been what I can manage financially in a very comfortable way and has given me some, um, just some grounding to try and like take the leap to, I mean, like do the math sometime on how much it hires to have full-time employees. It's terrifying. David, you can probably speak to this. Like yeah. I did the math on a team of eight and it was like, holy. So yeah. you, you make it work to how you can make it work. Yeah. Mean, like within the bounds of the law. Yeah, here's something that I, I will speak to this. I won't, I won't go into specifics and stuff, but I think you need to understand um, what your goals are with your company and stuff. You know, there are a lot of talented people in the world, and we have a very, very talented team at Aspen Grove Studios. Um, I truly feel like I could put them on any project, and they would exceed any expectations that any client would have plug plug now i'm just playing um <laughs> important is is keeping that staff obviously i've spoken about our white well developer designer um other people want this person so you know keeping that person is a value to me so what's going to keep that person yeah on a contract basis you know, my experience with contract employees and stuff is that if they're on a contract basis, cool. you know, um, so you, you find out where their value is for your team and make some decisions based on that of how you're going to treat that employee. Now, legally, you know, based on where they're at and stuff, you figure out the logistics of that, of what it is that you need to do. But opinion is if that person is a value enough value to your company you do whatever you got to do to keep them you know you pay them enough um, you keep them happy to where they don't want you know you, you not only keep them happy financially for their families and eat and keep a roof over their head but you also keep them in a, in a good work environment where they want to come and work with you and stuff um, I don't know if that makes sense, but but that's no, something totally, that's very important to there, us. There's multiple aspects. There's the work. They have to be interested in the actual work. They have to be like happy with the pay, and they have to be like emotionally satisfied with the work environment. There's, and you have to meet all. I mean, it's like a lot of responsibility because that's how you keep someone. You give them all of that, and it's a lot. Yeah, I previously had a, a large team that were all um, actual employees uh, that you know we paid their taxes and all that fun stuff. It, it, it is a lot to, to handle, um, you know, where you have um, a large team that are all actual employees with W2 employees. That's how, that's how I should put it, you know, on the 1099 contractors. So, um, but here's what I found. I, I got to a certain point and I could no longer do with 1099 contractors because of the stipulations that go along with the law. There, there's just things that don't work. I need my employees to be at the office at my time and and working on my schedule. So when you scale to a certain point, when you get to the 15, 20 plus employees, not only do they need to be employees, you also need a manager in between yourself and those employees. So to do that, um, and and then you get into the benefits and, you know, um, I had a crazy situation one year where I thought, oh, we can fund a SEP IRA. Little did I know that I had to fund the SEP IRA for everybody who had a certain number of hours, and that really hits you in the pocket. So there's some huge considerations, but I think I think what David said is probably the number one key to scaling your agency is keeping your your people happy. If you can't keep your people happy, you won't keep your customers happy. So all these other topics are kind of secondary to um, you know you need to be in an environment like Tammy said. You know people want to have to want to do the work. For the person that they're doing it. I read something that said people don't quit jobs, they quit people. So if we're not running our companies right, people leave. So yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, so follow-up question. Um, and maybe this will be more David and Tammy because uh, experience with scaling um, a distributed team. But how do you keep your people happy? Um, obviously, the pay, you know, that's a no-brainer, the projects, but uh, the emotional level, the work environment, where you don't have the office with the perks and the, you know, coffee, espresso machine, and um, you know, team lunches and all that. Like, what what are things that you can do to make sure that your team members are 
staying happy and staying emotionally vested in your company and projects and so forth. David? Okay. Um, well, for, for us personally, um, our team has kind of become like a family. We get to know them, you know, because we hang out so much. I mean, we have <laughs> nobody's in each other's office. We're all home based. So we all, all work from our home. We have one, two, three, four, four people on our staff that are in North America, but are in different uh, parts of North America. So logistically, we can't get together. You know, um, Corey's in Arizona. I'm currently in Louisiana. Um, he's in Phoenix. Him and Corey are only a couple hours away from each other, but they don't ever really get together. So, but we do have a, a really vibrant Slack channel. Um, we have fun. I feel like I've kind of in their families and I care about what their life is like. So I communicate not only on a business level where it's always about work, 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 work weekends. So I want to know what's going on in their lives. We share what's going on in our lives with them so that, you know, from the top to the bottom and there really is no, they're technically the boss. I mean, we're just one amongst many as opposed to being an, a hierarchical kind of structure. I hope that makes sense. We just, we engage. It's no different than this panel here. We all met online in Facebook groups. We hang out. We enjoy talking to each other. We've become we friends. We've met vacations <laughs> together. We've met in real life. We hang out. And, you know, it's no different than that. So um, just because we're online and work remote, it doesn't mean that you can't build up relationships with, with other people around the world. Because it can be done. Uh, and I would agree. I would agree. Like the first thing, my first thought on that question was definitely that the people that I've hired so far almost across the board are people that I'm reasonably close with, like friends. And so, but that doesn't do it. Like to me, that doesn't do it. That's one aspect of it, but that's almost double-edged because the people who know you best also know your weaknesses. So it puts you in a position almost when you're working with people you're really close with where you're always watching your own ass because you can't screw up. People, I mean, you know, people are watching for your weaknesses in a way, even if they love you. They know and I don't know. But beyond that, I wrote down four things that I think are really important. One, um, like show your team respect. Every person on your team needs to have respect for their abilities. You can't second guess them. You, you know, you have to trust them. Um, ask, like ask them what they want like fairly often, not hard to do. Um, make sure to give them things that are interesting. There's nothing I think that will drive people away quicker than giving them boring work. And then the last thing for me is I've, and this is something that I did throughout my career because I was a project manager for years before I started this particular phase of my life. Um, it is something that I've always done throughout my career and I don't know that everyone else would do this, but I do, which is that I'm very conscious of people's personal style. And this kind of goes against, it doesn't though, what process. You can still have a process, degree, work with people's personal styles, you know? Like some people just work differently and, and I'm very conscious of it and give them the space and need to do their work, even if it's not how I would do it per se. So I don't know, those are all things that are important me. Yeah, I think it's important to note, Tammy, that process doesn't mean that you tell them first you do it exactly like this, but process is more about your outcomes, like what the so uniform outcomes. So I think that's a really important thing. Um, just because I am one way doesn't mean that you know you have to do it the exact same way, but our outcomes should be exactly the same or very close to being because you're presenting that to a customer as a group. So that's a really good point that you know allowing for creativity, especially in this space. I mean, the creative people are you know very sensitive to be told how to do something. So. Um, it's I think true. It's focusing yeah. on what the outcome of your procedure is. Um, and I think you can get away from that a little bit when you're talking about support and customer service, like, you know, um, uniform responses, response times, and all those things can be dictated. But, you know, how to get point B needs to be um, established, and how you get there may not be exactly the same. But if we say, hey, all customers need to be responded for two in 24 hours. That's different than saying 
that you need to do your design mock-ups in, in this particular, in, in Photoshop, and it's only Photoshop, and you know, you can't use any other tools because I said so. Um, yeah, I'm talking way more touchy-feely than yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I'm talking so, some deep touchy-feely stuff here. I think, I think it's important to allow people to to use their genius, and I think that's kind of what you're saying, um, while at the same time creating those procedures and processes that you want to present to the outside world. So the outside world doesn't know that there's any different procedure going in internally, but when they when they get it, it's it's always the same. Like it would be really bad if um, like I presented to my client graphics in Canva, and um, you know Andrea mocks up something for us. In, in Illustrator or Photoshop, you know, I mean, those are just two different. So we agree that, hey, we're going to both make sure that we're sending PSDs and how we get to those PSDs is, I don't really care, but uh, we're not sending a link to Canva. I think that's, I think that's an important thing to, to kind of, to kind of add there. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to brag on David and Aspen Grove Studios. As far as design goes, uh, David and his business partner, Corey, have done an outstanding job like keeping standards. David's shown me a couple mock-ups from several of their different designers. And while they're coming from different people, I wouldn't have been able to tell what designer they came from because they have that same kind of, you know, look and feel that Aspen Grove Studios produces um, the same design standards and, and high quality. And so I think that's a, a really good example of even though they have standards and process, the designers are able to kind of use their own creative genius to you know, pump out the designs. Okay, I want to jump in here real quick because we're we're approaching, we're over our time quite a bit. But uh, you know, it seems like we've been running that way lately. And this topic we could talk about forever and ever and ever. And I think we want to come back and revisit it because I think it is a great topic. I do want to take the last couple of minutes, however, to um, Tim. I know is looking for to grow his staff this was something that was very important to him tim would you like to take an opportunity to what you're looking for in case <laughs> they want to reach out to him at Divi life a idea. yeah um yeah so i'm i'm looking for probably the the first thing is an experienced designer uh and kind of going along with what we talked about uh this evening you don't have to know Divi, but it's kind of a, a plus. But um, yeah, I'm looking for just a, a killer designer, um, someone that would say that they're a designer first, a developer second, or not a developer at all. Um, so that's probably number one on, on my list. Um, and then number two would be um, an experienced um, back-end developer, someone with PHP, JavaScript, um, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, you can reach me at, at uh, timstreifler.com or divilife.com. Um, contact me through there. And I'm also going to post something in the Divi Freelancers for Hire Facebook group. Um, so there will be more directions in there as well. Thank you, awesome. David. Well, here, here's, here's an opportunity. You know, Anybody else on our panel need anybody? <laughs> they want to send I'm always yeah. for designers who are basically like sex on wheels, like that good. I, I'm always looking for really, 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 really hot shit. What was that, Shannon? I am actually looking for a front-end designer to support our back-end designer. So, and it would be part-time to start with the, you know, hope that it could grow to full-time. So, awesome. Um, and Aspen Grove Studios is looking for a project manager at this time. Um, so, if you've got good organizational skills, project management skills, I'm kind of like them, Divi, like Tim, <laughs> not Dim. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> um, Divi and Tim. Dim. Hey, Dim. there you go. Um, <laughs> Let's see boom. if that domain's available. We just, just rebranded you. Um, <laughs> um, Are you drinking wine? I thought it was just me because I think yeah, I said a back-end designer. I mean a back-end developer. See, I drank that whole glass of wine. That's not a good thing. I was totally uh, wondering. Yeah. You, I wasn't going to say that. was the wine speaking, back-end, front-end developer. Jeez. Um, Okay, I'm done. We're looking for a project manager. You know, <laughs> send us an email at info at aspengrowstudios.com. And uh, hey, this has been a great, great episode. Everybody for coming on. Thanks for listening to another Divi Chat. Head on over to our website, divi.chat. Check out our show notes. Uh, if you like the show, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, a thumbs up on YouTube if you're watching us there, and put your 
questions in the comments, either on our website or YouTube, or send us an email at info at Tune in next week as we tackle another topic geared to help you improve your WordPress and Divi. Uh, until next week, thanks for tuning in, and you guys want to say bye? Bye-bye. Thanks for week. tuning in. Bye-bye. <laughs>